Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, welcome to the July 2020 Postcards from a Dying World Book Review Digest. This was a really good month for reading for me, uh, and I was really glad that our San Diego libraries opened back up to holds, so I'm working through some of the first books I was able to put on hold. And I was really looking forward to this first book because it's going to be an HBO TV series starting this month. And that, <coughs> excuse me, is Lovecraft Country. Now, Lovecraft Country is more X-Files than Lovecraft in tone. The chapters provide an episodic structure, and from reading interviews with the author, it only confirmed to me that that's what he was trying to do. Ruff has replaced Mulder uh, with a science fiction reading character named Atticus Black, who traveled the Jim Crow 50s researching the Safe Negro Travel Guide, a slightly fictionalized take on the Green Book, which was made famous because of the embarrassingly saccharine, sweet, Oscar-bait, white savior movie, The Green Book. Ruff said that he thought of Lovecraft Country and pitched it as a TV series first, but it is excellently researched and written, and it stands alone as an important work of horror fiction. Through mythology and Monster of the Week stories, it transplants the X-Files into a more openly racist 50s and thus provides an excellent backdrop for horror. All the stories work on some level as a whole, and the book is powerful as a work of horror, but also a statement on the timelessness of racism and the power of the system in America that wields it. The stories do at times address various Lovecraftian mythos, but the book is not beholden to Howard's beasties, and one of the most powerful stories has nothing to do with the mythos. Personally, I find the, ball the Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval to be a little bit more my jam, and I find it a more stunning work of fiction as a response and dialogue with the power of Lovecraft's fiction and the racism of his views. So, but these two novels complement each other. By that, I mean The Ballad of Black Tom and Lovecraft Country, which coincidentally and very strangely were released on the exact same day. These two books are definitely in dialogue with each other and should be read together. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend Lovecraft Country, but I also recommend that you read it with The Ballad of Black Tom from uh, Tor Books. Next up is a journal devoted to the academic research of the science fiction genre. It's a, a long-running journal called Extrapolation. This is issue 61.1-2, edited by Isaiah Lavender III and Lisa Yazik, longtime, uh, our three-time guest on the Dickheads podcast and a favorite uh, of ours over there. This issue is dedicated to Afrofuturism. The theme of the issue is Afrofuturism. And I was very excited to dig into this edition. I have seen articles from the journal from time to time, but this is my first time reading an issue cover to cover. All the articles are informative and interesting. One of the essays by um, uh, an academic named Doug Stark about, is about sci-fi's problems with realism, and it really struck with, stuck with me. 
And there's a quote from the article that I want to read. Quote, Sci-fi's representation issues do not merely reveal authorial biases and assumed readerships. They insidiously foreclose futurity for those who cannot find themselves in depictions of heterosexual, cisgendered, able-bodied white men. Well, I thought the next book that I read responded to that quote really well, but we'll get there. Since the death of Octavia Butler, the movement lost one of its earliest and strongest voices. That said, closing this journal with Samuel Delaney is, is as strong as you could get. From reading both um, their interviews and enjoying following Delaney on Facebook, it seems like Butler was more fond of the label Afrofuturism. Delaney starts his essay stating, unless we set up critical mirrors very carefully, arguing there is no such thing as Afrofuturism. But you got to read his whole essay to get what he was getting at. Overall, this journal is an excellent piece of academic work highlighting the growth of the subgenre and the cross-media offshoots. The most important thing I learned is that um, is a lot of really helpful stuff for the podcast because it's giving me um, a wider view of science fiction. Speaking of Lisa Yazik, during a panel I hosted for the Dickheads podcast, I glibly suggested that Kim Stanley Robinson had had the final word on the Generation Starship novel with his hard sci-fi masterpiece, Aurora. Professor Yazik disagreed and told me that I needed to read An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon. One of the most common subgenres of science fiction is the Generation Ship. With hundreds of entries by some of the biggest names in the genre, it is easy to think that um, everything has been said. I am glad they did because um, An Unkindness of Ghosts is indeed an important work in the subgenre. The wider field of science fiction and the wider field of science fiction in general. I have to admit that this book took a little while to hook me from the start, and I knew the writing was excellent. It has nothing to do with weaknesses in the book. There are a few. It was on me as a space nerd and a science geek, but that's why I had a hard, um, I had a hard science approach of um, Aurora is more up my alley. An unkindness of ghosts is a generation ship about um, a generation not ship novel for sure, but the HSS Matilda is more of a literary device or a mirror to the antebellum South than an actual spaceship. By the end, it's clear that Solomon has put a lot of thought into the function of the ship and the societal aspects come across stronger to me. It's not until page 285, during a reveal of a major twist, that um, we get a whole page that deals with the orbital, or, orbital mechanics and how the ship works. And that's totally fine for this novel. It was just impossible for me to turn off my space brain. And I felt that uh, I may have been missing the point and overthinking things at times. And I probably was. In this sense, the unkindness of ghosts reminds me of Mary Dorian Russell's The Sparrow. That said, this book is more rooted in the genre than The, than the Sparrow was, which didn't care for or try to be science fiction at all. Russell shied away from being called science fiction, and this is not the case here. I will say, by the end, the science fictional aspects were the least important thing to me. Solomon uses the ship as a literary device to explore racial issues, but also class, labor, and most importantly, non-binary representation. Thanks to River Solomon, we have a science fictional response to the quote I just read from the Doug Stark essay. 
No shock that it comes from a non-binary author of color. This book gets better after you close it and still think about it. A day after I finished it, my appreciation has grown, and a couple weeks out, I really do appreciate uh, An Unkindness of Ghosts and definitely give it a thumbs up. But probably my favorite book that I've read over the last month is Waste Tide by Stanley Chan. I can't thank Ken Liu enough for the, tr- the Chinese translations that he's been doing the last few years. I read his anthology, Invisible Planets, and that is an incredible book and a must-read for anyone who wants to get a flavor of science fiction coming from China. That book is kicked off by a totally bonkers story by Stanley Chan. That was pretty much a horror tale, but also kind of cyberpunk. Year of the Rat was a story of soldiers in a battle with genetically enhanced neo-rats. Yep, you heard that correct. That is not the only story from the author in that collection. There was also a very PKD-influenced neo-noir called The Flowers of Shenzai. And I talked about that in Dick Like Suggestions on the Dickheads podcast at some point. Wastehide is set on Silicon Isle, a landmass that is partially artificial off the coast of China near Hong Kong. The majority of the isle is made up of discarded electronics and cyborg body parts that have become trendy with transhumanists. When we are first introduced to the district, it is through the eyes of radical environmentalists trying to stop the shipment of electronic waste that has come across multiple oceans from New Jersey to this hotbed of recycling. The reality on the ground is that a giant waste dump is being inhabited by people called the Waste People, and the land is controlled by three constantly warring crime clans. We are introduced to several native characters, including gangsters, but most interesting is, not surprisingly, the Waste People. That is uh, the main character, Mimi, whose story is woven into the mecha and transhumanist elements, is a very fascinating character. Waste Tide is right up my alley in many ways. Is it perfect? No, but the faults are minor. To me, the characters and the setting are interesting enough to carry the book. The excellent cultural and political commentary are like icing on the cake. That is an, that is, that is an important read for science fiction readers and academics. Its place in the cultural opening of Chinese science fiction is important, but outside of that, it is just great speculative fiction. Um... Yeah, what's happening to your waste? What's happening to your species? The sci-fi masterpiece asks and answers and even questions more things, but you're going to have to buy it and read it yourself. Okay, next, and I don't want to go too deep on this, but I read the prequel to Star Trek Picard. Um, I meant to read this before the show premiere, but somehow I missed out on that chance. So yeah, I'm a fan of the show, and I know the return of Star Trek under the guidance of Alex Kurtzman has been dividing fans, but this review is not really about the show, but Una McCormick's excellent prequel to the show. And I have to say, this is the first time I've read this author's work, and I was very impressed. This novel is not not only felt like the Star Trek universe, but more importantly, McCormick gave the world a sense of life and function that felt grounded. This is one of the key reasons that this book not only tells the backstory to the show, but makes the show better and gives it more weight. Many Star Trek purists are really bothered by the stress the Romulan crisis is putting on the Federation. But look at what a tiny virus is doing to America as we're speaking right now. 
The Federation at the time of this story has just survived two Borg invasions and a Dominion War. As a show, Picard is about one man's idealism trying to save the universe. We've all grown to love... Um, we've all grown to love him, so nothing is more Roddenberry than that, right? I know we were bothered by Picard and Starfleet's distrust of each other and the fact that um, Clan- that Admiral Can- Clancy told Picard to fuck off. McCormick sets all that up nicely with the number of times that he showed disrespect to them and challenged them over and over. Well, this novel had obvious points of view it is trying hard to express when patrick stewart sat in the writer's room with kurtzman buyer goldman and shaban it's clear that the border and refugee crisis with the caravan coming to the border was on their minds although it was less than a year after it was released i felt a very different political weight reading this book while half the country is refusing science and debating the science behind wearing masks i couldn't help think about that as Picard was debating with a Romulan senator who refused to believe the science that his people were about to die. Sound familiar? All right, the next book I read was Federation by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, but I did a whole podcast on my Star Trek story, Myth and Arcs podcast about that with guest host Seth Heasley of Take Me to Your Reader and Who Goes There. So you'll just have to go listen to that if you want details on that. And the last book I read this month is a little bit out of my wheelhouse, and that's Dead to Her by Sarah Pimbrough. The wild, mainstream publishing success of Sarah Pimbrough really makes me happy. She's an incredible writer who worked her ass off in the salt mines of the horror genre for years. I am sure there are Oprah or Reese Witherspoon book club readers who who think she only has three books to her name. I thought that I thought about that today as I was finishing the book and thought it would be interesting to get the reaction to older Pimborough books like the Dog Face Gods trilogy. Those are nasty, dystopian novels with the serial killer that would make the most hardcore horror readers cringe. Before the wild success of her novel Behind Her Eyes coming to Netflix soon as a series, I didn't picture Sarah Pimborough novels as being grouped with, quote, the wife stalker or the other misses. That being said, in the wake of Gone Girl and Girl on the Train, Pinborough, with her detail-oriented ability to plot, has perfectly become the master of the feminine thriller. The story is driven entirely by women and, um, in the second half. The men are not exactly nice guys, although they think they're pretty important. Marcy, the main character, might seem helpless at times and a slave to her new privilege, but the hidden subtext, that is the hidden subtext of this thriller. It is the women in orbit of this patriarchal patriarchal subculture taking ownership of their lives and their stories at the heart of this book that for both the heroes and villains. It is Pinborough, so don't assume you know who is the heroes and who are the villains. Dead to Her is a great novel, but it is subtle good. It appears on the surface to be a fluffy thriller, but it is a stealth piece of feminism. Not in a raised fist militant way, but in a grounded way that sticks a dagger into the heart of subtle but painful habits of patriarchy like a thousand cuts. There are plenty of sharp observations of male behavior that will not be fun for some men to read. But that's a pity because it may be a good way for them to learn about how they're treating their partners. Uh, Yeah, Sarah Pinborough, way to go again. 
so yeah, it was a good month for reading. I thought Wastide was probably my favorite of the books that I read this month. Uh, and I, but I enjoyed all of them. There was no stinkers in the bunch. So please check out all those books. Thanks.